Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, our very own weekly podcast on mental health from Metro.co.uk. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. We've been doing this podcast for a while now. Please let us know what you think leave a review on itunes and if you've missed any of our recent episodes you can go back and listen to them in your own time summer's here you know maybe listen on holiday by the pool this week we're speaking to comedian dave chawner about anorexia you look thin you look good right well no anorexia is as much a mental health issue as it is a physical health issue coming up we're talking about how long it takes to develop a mental health issue how much longer it takes to understand your mental health issue and how it takes even longer to find a solution For me, anorexia just became like a diseased coping mechanism, the same way some people tend to drink and drugs. Um, and I think it was like an amalgamation of, I had my first ever girlfriend, uh, I kind of got this school play, and I really enjoyed school, and I didn't want to move away to university, and I didn't want to move on with my life, and it kind of felt with UCAS deadlines, exams, all of that stuff coming up, and then this sort of girl broke up with me, and it kind of felt like everything was sort of like changing, and I was like, oh, I know. So anorexia was the only thing that I can kind of really control and sort of maintain and one of the things that I find really interesting as well that I kind of want to explore more at the moment is that when you lose weight people tell you look good Mm. when you put on weight people don't tell you you look good and when you put on weight a lot of people there's a lot of like everyday fat shaming like oh she's not fat she's beautiful it's like well why why are they mutually different so I think there's a lot of kind of like you know just general like vernacular there's a lot of kind of like fat shaming and for me it was yeah it was about approval it was about addiction it was about control and I think it was something that I yeah I enjoyed did you find that you were getting a lot of compliments and that kind of 
encourage you to keep doing it. That's well. That, that was the thing. So basically, how it started off for me, I got I got a role in a play when I was at school, and I had to appear topless. It was the first time I ever really thought about my body. Yeah. But it's exactly that. I started losing weight, and as I started losing weight, people was like, "Oh, you look good." Um, and I I'm, I'm a very insecure person, as I think a lot of people are, and I kind of liked those kind of compliments. But also, I kind of got this attention from this girl, and I kind of thought, well, the more weight that I lose, the more gooder I will be. Mm. And then, as I say, like you cast universities and all that sort of stuff coming up was so out of my control I kind of subliminally over time got uh, sort of traced down this path that I didn't even realise that I was on and I would never really have identified with being anorexic for a good kind of four years Do you think it's easier for men to hide eating disorders than women? I think we're getting better at it. I think um, I think there have been so many amazing, beautiful strides in mental health and understanding mental illness. I think there are aspects that are more difficult for men, but I also think there's aspects that are more difficult for women. I think because I talk about this a lot, I'm in a very liberal bu bubble. Um, and I actually think it would be, you know, I try and go out and talk to people, but a lot of people that come and see the shows have experience of it. It would be different if I kind of went out into sort of other areas and spoke to people that had no real interest. And those are the people that I want to reach. Those are the people that I actually really mm -hmm. want to talk to because we all have mental health. Some of us have mental illness, but I'm actually interested in regulating everyone's mental health rather than people that have kind of gone awry now. Um, but I think there are certain things that like, yes, I don't think it's, as easily identifiable with that. I think, I think there is still a bit of a hangover of that idea that like, oh, women care more about their looks. Mm. I don't personally think that that is true, but I think some people think that. Do you think there's a difference between the way GPs might respond to um, a man with anorexia and a woman with anorexia? And what sort of response did you have? I didn't realise that I'd actually been going to the GP for my anorexia for years. I didn't realise they were all because of the symptoms of anorexia. Mm. I didn't realise that they were all isolated things. So, for example, I had heart palpitations. For example, I had uh, incredibly low body temperature and they thought it was problems with my thyroid. I had incredibly dry skin and couldn't get any sleep. All of these things that were actually... And I've got osteopenia and stuff like this. All of these things, I didn't relate to the anorexia. And neither did the GP. The GP didn't either. Now, I think it's very easy to lambast GPs. I think it has to kind of come on a social level to try and help people recognize the signs. And that's why beta are doing some amazing things at the yeah. moment. For example, there's this help sheet that you can download off the website, print it off, and you sit down and you think about all of the symptoms that you've got, you hand it to the GP, and on the GP, crucially, there is help. If you think this person has anorexia, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. This is your point of reference. And that's so helpful. Because I, I, I personally, I always try and shy away from like blaming anyone. <clears throat> Did you actually present the sort of the mental health side of things? Or were you just going saying, I've got this physical problem? I focus purely on the physical mm. rather than the mental. And like I said, I didn't really realize that there was something wrong with my mental state. When I actually did go to the GP, I went for um, depression rather than anorexia. Mm. And I kind of, I, I was very consciously relapsing at that point in time. So I kind of, I was cool with anorexia. And actually what we see is 75% of anorexics have suicidal intent. And I was very aware of what I was doing and I kind of made certain methods to speed up the dying process. And I honestly did want to die from it. 
but it was depression that I couldn't bear and I had to sort of go to GP and I sort of said I'm really sorry I'm I'm so depressed and kind of like outlined all of that and it was only when I spoke to someone I got referred on to Lambeth Talking Therapist and she said look we can try and help you with the depression but unless you start feeding your mind then you're not going to be able to release the endorphins the serotonin mm. it's kind of like trying to use a laptop when you've got no charge it's just not going to work is it so that was how I entered treatment was kind of almost through the back door of like oh I'm going for depression and they're like you're severely clinically anorexic mm. we need to get you in now but that's not everyone's experience and I, I think the experiences are so varied that it's, it's incredibly frustrating. So for you was that kind of the first time anorexia was even brought up were you kind of conscious that that might be what you were going through or was it... I had a weird, so like for me, my realization that I had anorexia yeah. was like a dawning thing. So it kind of all started when I was 16, 17. And when I was 18, my mom was like crying and screaming, going like, you're anorexic. And my friends were kind of like taking me away and going, oh, I think you're anorexic. Yeah. I thought both of those were too dramatic to kind of relate to what I was doing. What I was doing wasn't Hollyoaks, it wasn't EastEnders, which is very normal. I was just skipping meals, just mm. exercise, it wasn't mental. Um, it took me up until I was 21 when I was working away in a boarding school over summer holidays and I had no control over my food. You could only eat three times a day. It was just pizza, pasta, chips. That was eat. Mm. And I started skipping meals. I started coffee loading. I started binging, purging, exercising during the nights. And one of the teachers came up to me and she said, look, I've been in therapy for bulimia three times. Have you ever thought that you might be anorexic? Mm. And that was the first ever time someone asked me if I was anorexic rather than told me yeah. that I was anorexic and I accepted that I acknowledged it but I didn't do anything about it because I never felt anorexic enough mm. and it took me a further five years of slowly relapsing but then speeding up more and more and more until I sort of presented and I knew at that point that I was quite severely anorexic and I was doing a lot of unhealthy uh, things and also taking a lot of you know illicit substances to help as well so mm. kind of really tangled myself in a knot what have you found has helped improve your mental health so there's two aspects to that one is use it the other one is lose it so things that you can use creativity so i play guitar i really find that i find comedy really helpful but also creativity someone told me this amazing thing of um, she said when she feels really really dark she kind of goes through her day and she imagines if she was making a movie out of her day uh, what would that look like? What would the characters be? What uh, sort of soundtrack would you... I thought that was a really beautiful, creative way. And then also you've got lose it. So things like exercise, things like something that I really love doing as well is if I'm feeling really kind of trapped in my own mind, using Google Maps and going to like going on street view uh, of St Ives because we usually go to St Ives yeah. as a kid and I love it down in Cornwall so going through the little streets on Google Street View I find it really helpful as well if I get really kind of anxious take off my shoes and socks and put my feet on a cold surface because that really grounds me that's quite a shock to the kind of system but it doesn't hurt you in any way and you're like oh okay I've understood that. I think showering as well I get a lot of time in the shower that really helps me as well podcasts reading 
talking to people and finding loads of these different things as well because I, I have this thing I call a feel good folder on my phone which is a little different pictures of like my niece my family silly things that I've found but actually I think that whole process in itself of finding different coping mechanisms has been great fun and I don't think that's and I never want that to end I never want to lose that fun of like finding something else you're like that's weird yeah. I enjoy doing that have you ever been in a men- um, mental health unit? I have at the Maudsley in London. And the eating disorder unit genuinely is above a cafe. Uh, that's that's honestly true. I love so much about the Maudsley. The anxiety disorders unit is oh. opposite a helipad and A&E. I said, Isn't, that's, that's terrifying. So you've got a helicopter, you've got alarms going off. Um, I've never been on an inpatient unit. Uh, Funny enough, my yeah, I'm gonna leave that out. Uh, so I've never been on an inpatient unit. I've spoken to numerous people uh, that have, but it'd be, it'd be wrong of me to comment on anything there. I had outpatient treatment at the Maudsley, and it was it was just brilliant. What does outpatient treatment involve? So very good question. For me, what it involved was a an hour long therapy session mm. every week. So because of my the nature of sort of being a performer, I can do that in the day. So yeah. every Thursday at 11 till 12, uh, I went there. And it was, it was amazing. It was, it was so much fun. Because the, the thing is, people are like, oh, you're in therapy. And like, I have an hour a week to talk about myself. What yeah. is not to love? It's brilliant. And they have to listen to you. And they have to listen to you. Which is great. So my, my therapist was genuinely brilliant. She was hilarious. Um, she'd been in the job. She, she'd seen things. Yeah. And she could just do it standing on her head. And we had a real laugh. And I think that, that kind of therapeutic relationship was great. For different people, therapy can look at different things. Mm. I personally had CBT. That's where you do like a lot of worksheets. Didn't work for me. For some people, it's a lifesaver. Mm. I wanted uh, DBT. And we looked into that avenue, which is dialectical behavioral therapy uh we did bits and bobs of that wasn't great in the end it turned out uh psychotherapy so like talking and stuff uh was the best thing for me and actually i think the reason for that is everyone learns in different ways for me i'm a talker but i also like to explore and kind of treat things as um as projects and Mm -hmm. actually when i made my own recovery my project that was on oh this is great fun um so outpatient treatment looks different for different people but generally it will be an hour-long session once a week a lot of people get given cbt mm. um i didn't like it too much work sheets. how has mental health affected your dating life and your relationship sex life sex life all, all, the, all the fun stuff sex life's a very interesting one when you are anorexic because you stop feeding your brain a lot of the endorphins stop Uh, being released and one of the most common is testosterone so camp men become very camp and feminine uh, typically but also the brain that testosterone debt gets filled with estrogen and you get an incredibly low sex drive so I had a very low sex drive because I've always been quite sexually nervous Mm -hmm. um, and I was always quite you know um, reason for that I later found out I had to have a circumcision last year did another show on that so I did a show on anorexia than circumcision and people were like Jesus what what okay? medical <laughs> problem is it going to be this year um, but yeah so basically I was always terrified of sex uh, and the anorexia took away my sex drive which I genuinely loved mm. getting your sex drive back as then a 25 year old like terrifying mm. you get so much more admin done when you have no sex drive and I really struggled with that. I honestly 
it, it was hard for me to become a sexualized person because I have a lot of guilt around a sort of sex. There's no history of any kind of sexual trauma in me or my family or anything. I just find, I just, I, yeah, I find it very hard to be a sexualized being and that was terrifying. That was so scary. How did you deal with that and get through it? One of the reasons that I was so scared of sex was because it was in, like pathologically painful to the point without going into too much, I fainted a number of times oh during sex. The reason is there's this thing, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to like, you know, gross anyone out, but there's this thing called phimosis, uh, which is a tightening of the little man's jumper. And uh, because it doesn't aerate, underneath yeah. becomes very sensitive, in some yeah. cases hypersensitive, leading to psychological trauma, ergo fainting. Very embarrassing when you faint during sex. Um, and I think, I think, I actually think getting the circumcision was a big turning point. But also I think finding that new identity that like I am a sexualized person, mm. I do enjoy sex and kind of giving myself a little bit of a break just because I enjoy sex, just because I find X, Y, and Z females attractive does not make me a bad person and I don't have to be lecherous with it. So the same year that I was doing this show uh, about the anorexia, I also did a show about your relationship with your sexuality and that was fascinating because two of the things that came up the most were consent mm. uh, and also honesty and I think... That year when I was in Edinburgh, I'd just been dumped. Uh, it was before I'd met Una. And it was actually quite cathartic to actually meet someone that I got on with and said, I really like you, would you like to have sex? Uh, and that's a really hard thing to say, mm. but I think it was quite a nice thing to sort of push myself to do. Um, and I, I think that there needs to be better lines taught of what, what constitutes as consent. I also think having a committed sexual partner is a very different thing as well. I think that's... Uh, yeah, I feel like that would help. If you're discovering kind of being sexual again, it's yeah. probably helpful to have kind of a constant yeah. person, I imagine. Well, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. So one thing that I'm quite pissed off about this week is it's, it's a fairly specific thing, but it's to do with news reports. And um, we've had some really terrible tragedies recently, but I've noticed that specific news reporters will mention um, the mental health issues of somebody that's done something. So recently we had the Finsbury Park mosque attack and um, one of the first things that sort of came up was the mental health issues um, of the guy arrested for that. Um, and someone on Twitter actually sort of pointed out that because he was a white guy, that was one of the first things that was mentioned. So, yeah, why do you think that's always brought up for white guys? I think a lot of times they use mental health issues as a justification. And when you're a white, privileged man, they're a lot quicker to give you that level of understanding and want to find a different reason to explain why you've done what you've done. They're less likely to use the word terrorist, aren't you? I exactly. If you're a straight white man, you're not necessarily exactly. religious or something. So they'll think, oh, well... It must be a mental health issue. Yeah. And they'll call you like lone wolf or, you know, and they'll just try to make you empathize with this person. Because I've noticed in a lot of, even not even just the terrorism, a lot of murderers and killers will be like, oh, he was such a nice guy, you know, so kind. It's like, 
you don't need to tell us that. There's no reason for you to try to make us think this person is wonderful, realistically, because they've done a really horrible thing. And mm. I think that you don't get afforded those same, the same just style of language if you're not a white, privileged man. I mean, it's getting better now. We're see, sort of seeing, obviously, the royals talking about mental health issues and a lot more people being open. But still, a lot of the time, you sort of read about sort of mad people in the news when mm -hmm. terrible things have happened like that. And so the mental health issue is used as the justification. Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, I remember sort of ages ago reading about, you know, somebody had sort of crashed a plane and it was just like, oh, well, he was depressed. And it was just like, there's so many sort of hundreds of thousands of people in the world who sort of manage their condition mm. and don't go around crashing planes, you know, so the mental health issue isn't brought into it. I find it quite... I can, I can sort of understand it because yeah. people want to have a reason, but at the same time, if you had a physical issue, if you had a long-term physical issue, people wouldn't be saying, oh, well, he crashed that plane because he had asthma exactly. or he crashed that plane because he had diabetes. So I can kind of understand why it's brought in, but it's... I find it very difficult because it kind of reinforces that thing that, you know, people with mental health issues are a danger or, yeah. you know, they're and you know, to, be, to be afraid of, basically. It's dangerous because it does imply, like, oh, someone's depressed, they might hurt people. It's like, no, lots of people are living with mental health issues and they're not mm. doing, you know, terrible things. Yeah, and I guess also what annoys me about it is that then sort of reports might then focus on, well, he had mental health issues, mm. not oh, look, he was a massive racist. Exactly. Or, you know, oh, actually he was a terrorist. Yeah. You know, or, those are the things, you know, presumably that's, surely that's the thing to yeah. focus on. And also just kind of being really reductive because it's it's never as simple as, well, this person had depression, so they did this thing. There's so many other factors. It's like with any human being, I don't do everything that I do because of my mental illness. It's a whole complexity of things and cultural things and loads of stuff. And I just think, putting so much of a focus on one part of someone's life when you're talking about something as serious as a terrorist attack or something mm. or murder or any of those kind of things it's just i don't think people realize how irresponsible that can be no i think one of the things that mine sort of says quite regularly as well the charity is that um if you have a mental health issue you're much more likely to be the victim of a violent attack rather than sort of do something but people don't hear that enough I think stupid crap my brain has told me that boy I'm oh stupid 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 so my brain hasn't told me this for a while but one of my old 4am thoughts was I would occasionally wake up and be like what if there's just not enough oxygen flow in this room and if I sleep I'm just gonna suffocate and die which is quite a scary thought rather than a weird one but there was a real concern and that's why I always had to sleep with lots of windows open but then that would trigger like well what if someone breaks into the house while I'm sleeping so thankfully that doesn't happen as much anymore so I do get paranoid about just like what if there's not enough air coming into a room and I just die I do I think that does sound quite scary yeah it's really scary and like I know it's It'd be very difficult. You'd have to be in an airtight container, mm. which I don't think as a adult person you're ever doing, because why would you be in an airtight container? And no room that you're in is airtight, but it's still sometimes I'll just imagine, like, what if there is no air coming into the room and I just suffocate while I'm sleeping? I really wish that I could help you here and yeah. be more scientific, because I'm sure there's... I'm sure, like, at GCSE Science or something, we learned sort of about the, the makeup of air and sort of, like, the 
the things that you need to keep breathing. Yeah. But um, it would be very difficult to suffocate in my room, in my bed. And I know yeah. that on a logical level. And I think whenever I do have those thoughts, I'm just like, you can open a window. It's fine. But even if you don't, you're still not going to suffocate and die because you've slept in a room plenty of times when the window has not been open. And it's fine. So. Have you got plants in your room? Yes, I have so many plants. Because I'm those pretty are helping. <laughs> yeah, they produce oxygen. You know why I've got so many plants now. <laughs> and also they're lovely and they're just kind of calming. Oh, genuinely, I've become such a plant geek. It's embarrassing. I had this whole conversation with um, Debs mm. because I got this, got given this plant by Simon Swift, if mm. you remember him. And she walked past and she was like, oh my God, that's a really rare plant. Like, you have to look after it. And I got really invested in it. So I've been caring for it, like, dutifully ever since. And it almost died and I revived it. But very into plants for reasons of oxygen and also just general. It's nice to be responsible for a living thing and see it grow. Yeah. But not a baby. Yeah, but not a baby. Yeah. No, that's how I feel about it. Because I've got plants on my desk. It's really nice. It's quite reassuring. And also, yeah, they give you oxygen. So that's nice. They keep you alive. Goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. If you suffer from anorexia or any other eating disorders, try talking to Beat. You can call them at 0808-801-0677 Thanks to our guest Dave Chawner Check out his writing on metro.co.uk Our producer is Sam Bonham Thanks to Lucy Baker for the jingles and our partners Bills in West London Next week we're speaking to Immy Groom about fugue states See you next time So essentially it's when someone's encountering a real situation of stress or you know their life's going wrong in like some major way they'll deal with that by dissociating from themselves and it can manifest in a range of ways you can sort of switch off and just sort of wander around completely vacantly or you can actually sort of make up another reality for yourself and become another person 